0: Well, someone suggested the song for the day be Hot Potato, Hot Potato by the Wiggles. Uh, But let's pray. Father, we want to commend our ways to you and our time. We pray that uh, the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts might be pleasing in your sight. Amen. Well, there's no doubt that in terms of human sexuality, that we are in a period of sweeping changes in the West uh, that are coming with increasing speed and that boundaries are not just being pushed but we are seeing the complete overturning and reversal of society's opinions from the past on major issues. Uh, Homosexual activity was illegal in this country until the mid-90s. But as of 2017, not only have we legalised gay relationships, but we've legalised gay marriage and said it's a good thing. And now the big debates in in the news and in the schools and everywhere are over transgenderism. And with each sweeping change, we've seen greater and greater chaos and greater division in our society and in our institutions. Uh, And in families with some embracing the changes, others opposing them, others deeply confused about what to think and with much hurt on every side. And the Anglican Church isn't immune as proven in the last couple of weeks by the creation of the Diocese of the Southern Cross, which has come about because conservative Christians with conservative views have been pushed out and silenced by the diocese they were part of and it's a way of caring for them and protecting them. Today we're looking at what God has to say about human sexuality and in particular the letters we're increasingly familiar with, LGBTQI and with more letters added regularly, hence the plus uh, that you often see at the end. And Christians are wondering all sorts of things when we're confronted by uh, the letters, the media and everything else, um, you know, what's it all about? What's behind it? Why, why now instead of the past? What's, uh, is God for any of it? For some of it? For none of it? Uh, is He opposed? How should we react? How do we minister to those who are going through same sex attraction issues or gender identity issues? And, and, and what do we do if we're struggling with some of these feelings ourselves? Will Jesus accept me? There's often guilt and shame. How do I deal with it? What's the way forward? Well, before we get into all that, let me preface what I've got to say with a couple of things. You need a disclaimer sometimes, don't you, Aaron? He was showing me one this morning. <laughs> Firstly, there may be some who find uh, what we hear today uh, quite difficult, uh, perhaps because this is something that you're struggling with personally and it's been a secret uh, and there's been, it's been a struggle in the past and it hurts Uh, There's also those here with friends and family who are going through one or more of these issues and so it's hard, particularly when there's anger and guilt and frustration. I get it. I've been there, I've had several friends who've gone through these things, some are still facing them. I once buried a gay man uh, who committed suicide and had to counsel his uh, boyfriend through the grief Uh, and I know in the midst of pain that it can be hard to hear the word of God. But then secondly, I also want to preface this talk by saying that it's very difficult to say anything comprehensive in one Sunday sermon. The changes are so rapid, the issues are so complex, the rhetoric keeps changing, and the various groups identified by those letters are not the same as each other, have different issues, and while the letters are all lumped in together, they're not as cohesive a group as it might seem. For instance, the letter I, uh, which sometimes appears and sometimes doesn't, stands for intersex. Uh, intersex are a group of people who, for whom something's either gone wrong in the fertilisation of the egg uh, that they were produced from or in the gestation period so that their genitalia is ambiguous uh, or they have confused chromosomes like XXY instead of XX or XY. And so there's something medically wrong. And most people in the I group hate being lumped together with all the other letters so we're not really dealing with that today but even amongst the others there's plenty of disagreement jk rowling harry potter writer is a strong feminist she's pro-gay uh, but she's been censured and vilified for her anti-trans statements on the other hand there's now church leaders who are pro-trans but anti-gay Uh, because they say gender identity, dysphoria is nothing to do with sexual activity necessarily and say, what's wrong with that? So it's impossible to say everything about everything. And so all I want to do today is to create a framework for us to be thinking and have conversations about. And we're really going to focus on LGBT, that is lesbianism, uh, women with women, gay, men with men, uh, bisexual someone happy to go with either or both and transsexual identifying as the opposite gender to your body's biological sex so here's how i plan to proceed first i want to summarize what the mood of our society is around lgbt issues and i'm sure that you'll agree that that's that is what you know, the, the message is then i want to look at what god has to say in the bible about human sexuality and then ask what. Why does he care about it at all? And then finally I want to talk about how do we care well for people dealing with these issues themselves? So what is society saying at the moment about LGBT? Well, there's lots of popular opinion going around. It's commonly held that if you are LGBT, it's because you were born that way. It's genetic and so you can't help it. It's commonly held that it is impossible to successfully struggle against LGBT feelings and that you should just give in to them, embrace them, because that is who you really are, deep down inside. That's the most important part of your humanity. There's a common perception that LGBT people have just as long and loving and stable relationships as anybody else in the community and that embracing the lifestyle makes you a lot happier. LGBT people might even be considered to be better adjusted than most straight people. They're better at doing life. They're certainly uh, sharper dresses. Uh, in fact, the image portrayed in 2022 that to be LGBT used to be, I quote, on the cutting edge, to be hip, to be an individual, to be part of the glitzy yet sensitive culture that represents all the best in humanity's evolving nature. And the Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras is the public demonstration and promotion of it. It's all about fun, it's about being free, it's about celebrating and embracing your humanity. And on the other hand, if you oppose or question LGBT in any way, then you're labelled as a dinosaur, a bigot, a homophobe, a hater... You might hear Christians described as hating gays. But worse than that, you're considered an abuser. And no one wants to be an abuser these days, do they? Because you're harming others because you do not approve their choices. You oppose freedom and expression. You oppose natural human instincts. You oppose reality. And in so doing, you dehumanise the LGBT people because you're attacking their fundamental identity which is the ultimate sin. Because to claim something as your identity is to define who you are and give you validity and a place and a way of fitting into the world. So to question someone's identity, well, you might as well have murdered them. Indeed, you are a murderer because your opposition is causing people to kill themselves. Commit suicide, which is the end of all arguments, isn't it? Since you whack that out there, how, how can you say anything anymore? Uh, and I know several people in our congregation have been told that to their faces by their loved ones. Do you want me to kill myself? How, how can you answer that? Now, those are horrible and scary things to be accused of. So you can understand why so many institutions and companies have gone out of their way to publicly embrace LGBT rhetoric because they don't want to lose customers. They don't want to alienate clients. They don't want to lose business and money, which is really what's happening in the liberal church, which loves to be praised by the world and so preaches whatever's popular in the name of relevance Proclaiming itself as the loving church because it embraces anything and everything. Yet, while the Bible certainly is pro love and all for kindness and gentleness and patience, that doesn't necessarily mean that God's okay with everything or that anything goes. So, what does God have to say? Is the Bible clear on these matters or not? Because you've got bishops and ministers claiming that the Bible says nothing about these things at all, or that yeah it might mention it here and it seems anti there, but but it's unclear, it's inconsistent, and you can find other verses that are pro. And but the Bible is very clear and totally consistent. Uh, let's start with the Old Testament law, which the the Jews call the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis to Deuteronomy. It's called the law, and I think that's a bit of a confusing term because you hear law and you think commandments, don't you? And and while it is filled with commandments, there are plenty of them there in the law, it's more than that because the law also gives you background and patterns which provide the shape of things, the stories of the history of, of Israel and so on, which when the laws come, give firm boundaries and clarifications to the patterns that were there beforehand. And so when it comes to human life and sexuality, the law begins with the pattern that we've seen several times already these last few weeks. At the pinnacle of creation, God makes a man and a woman both equally loved and valued, both are made in his image, and they are made for each other with all of their differences. And they are very different Wonderfully different, uh, different roles, different hormones, uh, different physically, and and only together can they fulfil God's purposes for them of filling the earth and subduing it. And part of the difference between the man and the woman is that they are engendered people, made with bodies to suit their roles. And their function in God's creation, engendered in a way that's delightful to God and to each other. And so we hear the pronouncement in Genesis, i am going to do something with this, I mean, what are we going to do? Uh, in Genesis chapter 2, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they shall become one flesh. That's the fundamental pattern God gives of family, of one man, one woman in a sexual union to the exclusion of all others where they leave one family to begin another one. And then the commandments of the law all fit that shape. They, they spell it out, they define it, they put limits around it. And so in terms of... Sexual activity, what are some of the commands of the law? Well, here's a famous one from the Ten Commandments, do not commit adultery, right? Which reaffirms the pattern of exclusivity. It's these two together for life, right? That rules out bisexuality where you're sleeping with multiple people automatically. Uh, You must not marry or have sexual relations outside, oh, sorry, inside the family that you were born into. And Leviticus 18 spells out what that means. There you go, there's the people you can't sleep with or marry. Uh, I'm not going to read out the list. Uh, and uh, I did note that one of our members says, I noticed it doesn't say cousins, that's okay. Anyway, And God explicitly rules out other sexual relationships that are outside of that basic pattern Right within the laws. And so that's in Leviticus 18, in verse 22, he goes on to say this, do not lie with a man as one lies with a woman, that is detestable. Or in verse 23, he goes on, you are not to have sexual intercourse with any animal, defiling yourself with it. A woman is not to present herself to an animal to mate with it is a perversion. And there you go on a porn site and... You, that is an option you can view. All right? So it's not that God's unaware that any of these things could happen or did happen or that he's completely unaware of what goes on in the world. Notice verse 24 where he says the nations, they, they do all of these things. But he's saying don't do it. And homosexual sex is, is a part of it. It's not the only thing but it's part of the list. Same goes with confusing the genders. And so Deuteronomy 22 verse 5, this law appears a woman must not wear men's clothing nor a man wear women's clothing for the Lord your God detests anyone who does this. Again, he's not unaware that people are doing it. He's not saying that people out there in the world don't do it. He's saying you shouldn't. Uh, it's a boundary that God puts in place to reinforce the pattern. Don't don't present yourself yourself in a way which might confuse yourself or others as to whether you're a man or a woman instead what are we as creatures of god made in the image of god meant to be doing well we're meant to thank god and delight in his creation of ourselves of others and and so we see it's not just an old testament thing The New Testament says exactly the same things and so on homosexuality, we just read Romans chapter 1 and 1 Corinthians 6, both passages talk about humanity in rebellion against God and they lump homosexuality in with all sorts of other sins that people commit in their denial of God. That is, homosexual sins are not the only sins but they are certainly there. And the idea of gender clarity on in how you present yourself based on how God made you biologically is in the New Testament as well as the Old Testament. And so 1 Corinthians 11, uh, for instance, will go on to say, don't confuse your gender and by your presentation of yourself, by your hairstyles and by what you wear. Women are women, men are men, and how they express themselves and identify should fit in with God's creation and be celebrated. So it's clear that the Bible speaks clearly about it, right? And, and and consistently about it. But the question you might have is why? Why would God care about any of it? Why, why would he make rules? Why make a pattern? Why put limits? And I want to say he cares for two very important reasons. Uh, one we're not going into today, which is because human marriage and relationships are designed to be a pointer towards god and his relationship with us but i'm going to leave adam to talk about that in a couple of weeks time don't want to steal his thunder but god also cares because he made us he loves us and he knows what's good for us better than we might even know for ourselves God sets things up the way he did. He designed it so we could flourish as people in relationship and fulfill his purpose for our lives. And to step outside his pattern is is bound to be a recipe for pain and hurt and disaster. Uh, Whether it's adultery or pornography or sleeping around or prostitution or embracing the lgbt lifestyle it's always going to bring pain and despair as the real statistics show as we're going to see shortly god's ways work but why is it so hard to believe that or that god has our best interest at heart by the way he designed things well it's hard because of sin Sin is that attitude that we want to make up the way things are and run life our way. You think back to the original sin. It seems like such a small thing that Adam and Eve did. It's eating a piece of fruit that they weren't supposed to. big deal, big whoop. What's wrong with that? What's the harm? Well, it wasn't just that they defied God, which would be bad enough, because he said, you must not do it. But they were taken in by the devil's lies and they ended up setting themselves up as authorities over God. They wanted to be determiners of their own identity and destiny. That's what sin is all about and we all do it. We want to create an identity for ourselves, other than the identity which is given by and found in God. And and we end up misidentifying ourselves in a whole range of ways, not just sexually, but all sorts of ways. And when we misidentify ourselves and others, we misuse his gifts and we do great harm to ourselves and others physically, emotionally, sexually, intellectually, spiritually. And that is why God detests it. Because it's denying his goodness, it denies his identification of us, it denies the brilliance of what he made. It denies that we are made for his joy and glory and purposes and and it brings real hurt. So let's go back to some of the claims that the world's making about LGBT and, and see if they hold up. The claim that LGBT people are born that way and you can't help it. Well, the overwhelming evidence is there is no genetic correlation. The one study that concluded that there is a correlation back in 1993 has been completely debunked as fraudulent. In fact, when it comes to gay men, uh, for instance, in 90% of cases the roots are well known and can be traced to the sinful actions of another person or people. And the story is generally the same, and I've heard the same story over and over again from uh, people who shared, you know, I'm so glad for the conversations and the sharing, but the, the pattern's the same. Physically or emotionally absent father, sexual abuse by a close relative or an authority figure such as a scout leader, a teacher, or an older kid at school, and so the poor kid grows up with a weird and warped views of relationships with men having endured something they should never have had to. Which has been story after story for the dozen or so men I have had this conversation who've been openly gay but also willing to share with me about their life. All of them fit that. In terms of gay men having happy, loving, long-term relationships or hundreds of studies were conducted by people who were pro-gay or neutral to it, who didn't care what the answer was. Here's a summary of the findings. Uh, Suppose you were to move into a large house in San Francisco, which is regarded as the gay capital of the world, with a group of 10 randomly selected homosexual men in their mid-30s. The relational and physical health of the group would look like this. Four of the 10 men, so 40%, are currently in relationships but only one of those has been faithful to his partner and he will not be within a year. Four have never had a relationship that lasted more than a year and only one has had a relationship that lasted more than three years. Six are having sex regularly with strangers and the group averages almost two partners per person per month. Three of them occasionally take part in orgies. One is sadomasochistic, one prefers boys to men. Three of the men are currently alcoholics, Five have a history of alcohol abuse and four have a history of drug abuse. Five regularly use at least one illegal drug and three are multiple drug users. Four have a history of acute depression as compared to 3% of the male population uh, in, in general. Uh, three have seriously contemplated suicide and two have attempted suicide. Eight have a history of sexually transmitted diseases. Eight currently carry infectious pathogens and three currently suffer from digestion and urinary ailments caused by these pathogens. At least three are HIV infected and one has AIDS. In terms of transgender, the correlation with other uh, comorbidities, as they're called, is staggering. Uh, American doctor Lisa Lipman has been studying what she has described as rapid onset gender dysphoria. Uh, that, that is the massive avalanche of teens and tw- young to early 20s, uh, particularly women who are coming out as trans in the last five years across the West. Uh, she did a study involving 256 teenagers. 48% of the group had experienced a traumatic or stressful event prior to the onset of gender dysphoria. They they weren't confused before something happened and then afterwards they they, they started having these issues because of the trauma. Uh, 45% were engaging in non-suicidal self-injury prior to the dysphoria, cutting and so on. Uh, 15% were diagnosed with ADHD, 12% with OCD, 12% were on the autism spectrum, seven had eating disorders, seven were bipolar. In other words, for many of these children, teens, it was these other comorbidities, to use the technical term, that were in fact the real issue and in fact uh, needed to be treated for stuff, needed counselling and help. Abigail Schreier, a non-Christian journalist, has written a book Irreversible Damage, showing the the terrifying effects on mental health and physical health that trans... um, uh, hormone therapy and surgery has. Uh, Preston Sprinkle in his book Engendered says, in the conversation about trans suicidality, ignoring the prevalence of co-occurring mental health concerns and laying emphasis exclusively on transitioning may seem caring and respectful, but it does no favours to the trans community. In a world filled with advertising and manipulation, where people are so easily influenced in all sorts of areas of their life and where to be different uh, you get uh, praised and held up as a hero, Why, why would we think that the issue is the body rather than the mind? God cares about people. One of the lies that activate, activists perpetuate, and it is a lie, is that if kids aren't allowed to transition, then they're going to kill themselves. It's the weapon that's waved every time. It's part of the script that activists teach young people. Not only is that an evil, reprehensible thing to say, because anyone who knows anything about suicide knows that you do not plant the seed in someone's mind, but the studies are showing it's just not true. More people are treated for severe anxiety disorders after trans-surgery than those who had issues but never went through with it. And do you know when the peak suicide ideation period is for people experiencing gender incongruence, it's seven to ten years after having surgery, gender-affirming surgery. That's when people are killing themselves. And now there is a massive movement of people trans- de-transitioning. There's a Reddit group, which is an internet discussion, of 34,000 people who've had reverse surgery to go back to how they started. Which is never the same because you've had a mastectomy and then you get a silicon implant instead or other stuff. What about the claim that people can't change? They just can't. It never happens. That's not true either. People change all the time into out across there's gender fluidity is one of the letters that we're not talking about today and so it happens all the time and and some of us have seen our friends and family go through it right that they, they they were heterosexual they uh then were experimenting they uh then we said they're pan gender, then transgender now now some say they they've gone from being a woman to a man and so now i'm a i'm a gay man a gay trans man <laughs> Right? So, like, of course people change, they change all the time. Moreover, it's been established by numerous studies that a huge percentage of children and youth who experience gender dysphoria, about about 80%, desist over time. They resolve their gender conflicts. And I personally know of several gay men who are now happily married heterosexuals with great families and healthy sex life. David Old's twin brother has gone on public record to talk about it on SBS. Now I'm not saying that there are easy solutions or instant changes or that even conversion therapy is good or effective. There's some horror stories from there too. But, And I'm certainly not saying that if you have issues and you talk to someone, everything will be honky dory and your feelings will suddenly change and you'll live happily ever after. Life's much more complicated and messy than that, isn't it? But what I'm saying is that People struggling with same-sex attraction or with gender incongruence issues do not need the LGBT lobby pressuring them and lying to them that there's no future without embracing the lifestyle. You come to 1 Corinthians chapter six again, that passage we read, which uh, lists homosexuality among the sins, which mean that you're living outside God's ways and you're not welcome in His kingdom, because God takes sin very, very seriously. But did you notice the last bit in verse 11? And some of you used to be like this. This is what some of you were, the other transition, translations say. But you don't have to be locked in to the patterns of sin in the past. That is what some of you were. But, and here's the beautiful thing, you were washed you were sanctified you were justified in the name of the lord jesus christ and by the spirit of our god washed the the dirt of the past was swept away sanctified god changed you and he views you as holy and he is at work in you now changing you and calling you to live for him and be holy in his sight and you were justified you were declared not guilty of things that you were guilty of the gospel of the lord jesus christ brings all of those things jesus died for us so that we might be forgiven and restored any change that god makes in us might be long it might be slow it may never reach its conclusion in this life but the promise here in 1 corinthians 6 is that there is healing that's why jesus died That is what some of you were. God cares and he works to bring healing. And that's why we should care too. But how do you care well? You've got someone in your life with an issue like this, how do you care for them? Well, I haven't got all the answers. And I'm sure I've made plenty of mistakes. But here's five things to reflect on. Firstly, people with sexual and gender identity issues are so vulnerable on multiple fronts. They're vulnerable to the lives of activists. They're vulnerable to being manipulated by people. They're vulnerable to being used and abused. They're vulnerable to false solutions. They're vulnerable to self-harm if they buy into the narratives. But they're also potentially vulnerable to us who might be seeking to care if we're clumsy or we rush in with all guns blazing. Second, because of that, we have to learn to listen and listen with love. We are dealing with people in pain and we need to hear their cry and sympathise and walk alongside them. It's hard to do. And it may be a very long road and there's going to be a real emotional roller coaster to ride with them. Thirdly, though, we need to walk in wisdom. You know... Where God says wisdom starts? Well, Proverbs says the fear of the Lord. James says it starts with prayer. Now, if any of you, oh, hang on, now if any of you lack wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. We really do need to start on our knees in prayer, don't we? Um, because wisdom comes from above. And God is great, and he loves us. And he not only gives wisdom, but by prayer he can and he has and he will work incredible things, even things we think are impossible. God changes lives. I've seen it many times, so start with prayer. Fourthly, walking in wisdom also means seeking advice. Usually we don't have the answers ourselves and getting help from people who've been there can really help. There's lots of good help out there to get and there are lots of excellent resources available. Walking in wisdom will also mean not affirming everything that you will be asked to affirm. And it may well bring anger and frustration and name-calling as a result, but you've got to work out what you can go with and what you can't go with and go with the things you can go with. But you, you need to set boundaries yourself. So you can interact uh, respectfully, and and they can too. But finally, walking in wisdom means we've gotta be very, very clear about what our goal is. The goal is not to get someone to pretend to themselves or to others that there is no struggle. That is not the goal. The goal is not to get them to have heterosexual sex with someone it's not to get them married off properly (laughs) no our goal has to be god's goal doesn't it what is god's goal we want to present every person mature in christ that's our church motto colossians 128 that's our goal isn't it presenting people mature in christ And so even more than helping others make wise decisions about their gender conflict or uh, sexual struggles, we want to point them to Jesus Christ and his wonderful gospel of grace and life and forgiveness. We want to see them one for Christ. We want to see them growing Christ. We want to see them serving others in the name of Christ. We want them to see their identity in Christ, for that is the only identity which will ever give true meaning and lasting joy and real peace. Let's pray. Father, these are complex issues, but we thank you for the clarity of your word and that you really do love us. We pray that you would have mercy on us as we uh, care for others and you might have mercy on our LGBT friends and family and those who are struggling and so many in the community. We pray, please, Father, that the lies would be exposed We pray that your grace would come, that the Lord Jesus would be honoured and you would help us uh, as we stand up for you and stand firm in our convictions to be loving, kind, wise uh, as we deal with this and as we walk alongside people who are struggling. Please, Lord, be with us. In Jesus' name. Amen.